Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. All right, guys, we're, we're journeying through Luke. We're, we're getting towards the end. We're into the crucifixion now. We're in chapter 23. And we're going to see some things today. Last week we saw the journey to the cross. This time we're going to see Jesus and that he's with two other men. There are three men total who are crucified. And so Luke is interesting because Luke, unlike the other Gospels, doesn't really go into much detail concerning the crucifixion. Now, he's going to give you the events that are taking place. We're going to look at them as we go through this passage. But he doesn't give you as much detail like what prophecy was fulfilled and all of this thing that some of the other writers will do. But he does give us enough details because he's going to have a different perspective. He wants to, us to see things from another perspective. We're going to see it from the perspective of Jesus and what Jesus is doing on the cross. But we're also going to see it from the perspective of everyone else, the ones who were crucified with him, the ones who are in the crowd, the soldiers who are carrying out the, pers- the execution, and why? Because he wants us to understand and see the human heart. He wants us to understand and see the depravity and the darkness of men's souls. And in the midst of that, we're going to see the grace of Jesus. Because here's the thing I want you to understand. As we look at this passage, this is what's so amazing to me. Even as he's being killed, he shows grace. He shows grace. Now, you say grace. What's grace, George? Well, the theological definition for grace is unmerited favor. What in the world does that mean, George? Well, here's what it means. Getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. That's grace. You want to write that down. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And even when he's being killed, even when he's being mistreated, even when he is in the midst of suffering, he shows grace to those who are doing it to him. So let's, let's look at the passage together. We're going to look and see what the writer Luke is telling us here in his gospel concerning Jesus being crucified. So notice with me verse 32. And there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. When they had come to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. For they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood on, But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing 
you are under the same condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Folks, we can basically divide this passage into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, the humiliation, the humiliation of the crucifixion. And then we're going to see the two responses to him from the two thieves. So the humiliation. Let me help you understand something here. When we talk about crucifixion, in their day, they were not as concerned about how the execution took place and what happened to the criminal. Like, for instance, in our culture today, we have, we have, have you noticed that if you look back through the history of execution in the United States, it's really changed a lot from the early days when you hung somebody publicly and it was a big spectacle to now where we've gone to, like firing squads or which I think one state still has that, or electric chairs, which nobody's using that very much anymore, to where we do lethal injection and we want to make sure that it's as painless as possible, to even now where we're maybe even debating whether or not that's painless. That, that was the concept today in our culture, but in their culture, when they talked about execution, they really weren't worried about how the guy was feeling who was being executed. In fact, their whole perspective is, is if you're ever being executed, you need to suffer as much as you can. So therefore, the Romans used and perfected the issue of crucifixion. And when you crucified someone, you hung them basically on a tree, on a crossbeam, so to speak, attached to a tree or a pole, and you hung them up out in the elements to be seen and to experience a slow death. Because to be crucified is to die by asphyxiation. To be crucified is to die in such a way that you would no longer breathe because your body couldn't take the fatigue of what was happening and the trauma. So they would nail you by your hands or your wrists and then by nailing your feet to the cross. But when they would nail your feet to the cross, they would always nail them in such a way that your legs, your knees would be bent. Why? So that you could push up to get a what? A breath. And breathe. And crucifixion would take hours, sometimes days. I think history records some even lasting a week or more hanging on a cross. Out in the elements. It would be terrible. Your muscles would be contorted and, and in pain and in agony. And every breath, think about that, heaving up on the nail nailed into your feet would be pain. And if, and if, and then the situation with Jesus, if you had to be killed quickly, how they would rush the process is by breaking your legs so that you could not what? Breathe anymore. Push up. So this is what's going on here. But the other aspect of the, of, of the execution in that day was so that you would be humiliated. So that you would be mocked. You would serve as an example to others. Don't mess with Rome. Don't mess with the government. Do what's right or you're going to end up here. So we're going to see several things that are going on here that Luke brings out. First of all, verse 32 and 33, he tells us that Jesus was executed as a common criminal. He was executed as a common criminal. Scriptures tell us that prophetically he was to be numbered among the transgressors. 
And we see that here. Jesus is executed as a common criminal. So there are two other guys there who were probably involved in some sort of altercation. They probably, with Barabbas, the one who was set free, had involved themselves in some sort of violence, some sort of criminal activity that resulted in their death sentence. And so Jesus is among them, and they're brought to a place called Calvary, Luke calls it Calvary. Calvary is the Latin word. The Hebrew word is Golgotha. or And the meaning of both is the place of the skull. So there's some sort of place outside of Jerusalem in which they would execute people. And so on that day, Jesus was executed as a common criminal. But I want you to notice that even in the midst of this, even in spite of what he has endured up to this point, the trials, the beatings, the scourgings by the Romans, the mockery of the people as he went up to the cross. As he's hanging there on the cross, verse 34, to me, is amazing that he could do this. Because, my friends, this is not the response of a human being. What do you mean, George? Think about the last time somebody did you wrong. Think about the last time that somebody really did an injustice to you. For some of you right now, something is coming up in your mind where you were hurt in such a traumatic way. Think about that experience and then think about your reaction at that point. For many of you, it was anger. For many of you, it was pain. For many of you, it was even thoughts of how can I get back at this person. Can you relate to what I'm saying? How many of you had the thoughts... I forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. That's not a human natural response, is it? We get angry when people do wrong to us. We get angry when we suffer injustice. And here's Jesus. He's been declared innocent three different times, but yet they're crucifying him. And he's being mocked. He's being mistreated. He's being killed with common criminals. And notice what his response is. Look with me. Verse 34. Unbelievable what he says. But yet, it's the grace of Jesus. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Wow. What's going on here? Number one, Jesus recognizes their ignorance. You say, George, well, you know what? When I read this, they're not ignorant of what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They want to get rid of him. They want to destroy him. They want to kill him. There's no ignorance going on here. They're very much aware of what they're doing. They're responsible for what they're doing. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Why is he saying to forgive them because they're ignorant? What's going on here? Well, here's the perspective you need to see, the perspective of God. Yes, they knew what they were doing. Yes, they planned it out. Yes, there was a purpose for killing him. They wanted rid of him. Yes, in their hearts they're responsible, but from the perspective of God, they don't have any clue what's going on. They don't truly understand who it is they're killing. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're ignorant of who they're killing. They're killing the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the creator of the universe. They're killing the one who would die for their sins. They don't understand. 
Yes, they think they got it together, but the reality is is they don't understand. Folks, here's the perspective of God concerning all of our sins. We maybe know why we sin, but God says you sin out of ignorance because you don't truly understand. So he asks the Father to forgive them. To forgive them. Now, what's he doing here by forgiveness? Is he removing their responsibility? Is he not going to judge them later for what they're doing if they don't know him as Savior? What's he doing? Here's part of the process of forgiveness, folks. Part of the process of forgiveness is not just wiping away what they've done. It's releasing you from the spirit of vengeance, anger, and bitterness. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what Jesus is doing. He's releasing himself from what's happening and placing it into the hands of God. But he's also recognizing that the reason why they're doing it, the reason why they're doing this to him, is their ignorance. Their ignorance. Here's what else he does. He expresses grace and forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. Even if we can grasp what Jesus is saying and say, oh, yeah, they're ignorant of what they're doing. Oh, yeah, I, I kind of see that. Most of us still don't. We have a hard time with that concept because they know what they're doing to him. Even if we could grasp that, most of us here would probably say, there is no way I could forgive someone for doing that. Is that not right? Is that not a natural reaction? Am I the only one who thinks that way? You know what I'm saying? Most of us would would never think of giving somebody what they don't deserve, and that is to forgive. If anything, we're thinking what they deserve is to die. They deserve the same treatment. They deserve worse retribution. But here's what Jesus does. Even as he's going through this, even as he's suffering the injustice, even as he's experiencing the agony and realizing he's going to face death at their hands, he extends, are you listening to me, not just grace, what they don't deserve, he extends forgiveness. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. Forgiveness. That, that blows my mind, folks. Doesn't it blow your mind? Because that's not our reaction. You know what I'm saying? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. That's our attitude. No, I'm not going to hurt you back. I'm going to think about it a while, but I'm not going to hurt you. Okay? All right? But, but that, that's our reaction, isn't it? That's the humanness. But Jesus extends grace and forgiveness. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that that's our Jesus? Because if he could extend grace and forgiveness to those who's, who's, who are killing him, you think he can extend grace and forgiveness to you with your issue? So we see that there. We see that there. And, and, and really, the next thing I want you to see there is, is that it just doesn't end there. The humiliation, even in spite of him extending grace, look at what Luke brings out here. He brings out the reaction of everybody else in the crowd. And what I want you to see there is this, is that Jesus is mocked by every level of humanity. He goes through a list there. He says... First of all, verse 34, they divide his garments. Nothing sacred there, guys. I mean, they strip him down naked, nail him to a cross, and then they take his clothes and they divide it among themselves. It's kind of their, kind of like their bonus pay, I guess. You take the dude's clothes and you divide them among yourselves and they come up to one garment. One of the gospel writers says, oh, we can't, we can't rip this apart, so let's, let's play for it. 
So they gamble for it. But then notice now, people stood looking on, but the rulers are mocking him. That's the, the elders, the chief priests, the rulers of Jewish society are mocking him, saying, hey, you can help other people. Can't you help yourself? The Roman guards who were there are mocking him. Are you thirsty here, buddy? Here's some vinegar. Take a sip. What we see here is that every level of humanity... From those who are in the upper echelons, who are in control, down to the low guy on the totem pole, is mocking him. That's humiliation. That's what Jesus endured. The scorn and the humiliation of humanity. But Luke now does something very interesting because he goes from there and in verse 39 turns his attention to the two guys who were crucified with him. So remember, he told us there's one on the left and one on the right. Jesus is crucified in the middle. And the one of the guys who's crucified with him, look at what happens, verse 39. But one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Here's what's going on. One criminal mocks Jesus concerning his power. One guy's sitting there with him and saying, oh, well, really, you're, you're it? Everybody's saying you can save yourself? Why don't you do that, buddy? I mean, you, I've heard all these stories about you. Here we are. You're not doing anything. Luke chooses purposely the word blasphemy. Because to blasphemy is to speak against God. And what he's doing here is he's speaking against Jesus. And he's mocking him concerning the reality of what he can do. It's almost like, well, if you could really do that, why can't you do that now? So on one hand, one criminal mocks Jesus concerning his power. Look at what the other guy does, though. The other guy speaks up. Look with me at verse 40. But the other one, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Here's what I want you to see. The other criminal recognizes his responsibility. The other guy says, you know what, you be quiet. Aren't you afraid of God? We're getting what we deserve. We should be here being executed. We did wrong. This guy has done nothing wrong. He's recognizing his responsibility. He's recognizing that he's getting what he deserves for the junk in his life, for the stuff that he's done wrong. He's recognizing that. And here's what he does. This is an amazing thing. This is like, where did this come from? This can only come from getting a perspective that only comes from God giving it to you. Because look, when he owns his responsibility, look at what he does now. He's not like the other guy who's blaspheming him, who's mocking him and talking about his power in a wrong way. He's, he's completely the opposite when he recognizes who Jesus is. Look with me. Now, look at what he says there, verse 42. And he said to Jesus, and this is interesting, look at what he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's going on here? 
He appealed to the mercy of Jesus. He's appealing to the mercy of Jesus. I mean, he's saying, you know what, I'm getting what I deserve. And then he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, that's a recognition of who he is. That's understanding who he is. Even though he's being crucified, even though he's there with him, dying, he understands who Jesus is. Lord, you remember me when you come into your kingdom. God, you show mercy to me. I don't deserve it. God, you show grace to me. Remember me. He's appealing to the mercy of Jesus. Wow. You know what, folks, here's the thing. And this is the reality of why we have the Gospels. This is the reality of why we are going through the Gospel. This is the reality of why we have a message like today where we talk about the crucifixion. Because this type of message and this reality of what Luke is showing us here is is to help us to see that we need to identify ourselves with one of the two guys who were crucified with him. What do you mean, George? Because really, when you think about what Jesus endured, when you think about the suffering and the humiliation and the death he experienced, there's only going to be one or two responses. You're either going to be like the one guy who says, well, man, can't he take care of himself? If he's God, why in the world did he have to go through that? Where you mock him. Or there's the other response that says, that should be me. That should be me. You didn't do anything wrong. I've done lots wrong. Be merciful to me, Jesus. Remember me, Jesus. Because that should be me. Do you know what I'm saying? There's really only two reactions to Jesus' death. It's either you're going to mock it, or it's just some pathetic figure from history. Can't believe he let himself get into that kind of situation. Or you really recognize what's going on, and you realize your own responsibility, and you appeal to his mercy. You appeal to his mercy. But then I want you to notice what Jesus does. Look at verse 43. This is powerful. I mean, this is interesting. Look at what he does. Jesus said to him, assuredly. Let me just stop for a moment. Assuredly. What is he saying here? It's it's, it's stressing the fact of the reality of what he's about to say. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is making a commitment here to this guy with what he's about to say. Look at what he says there. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Heaven. You'll be with me. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus assures him of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Because the guy, all he needed to do is he's hanging on the cross there, heaving himself up for every breath. Can look around at his circumstance and say to me, there's no hope here. There's only death. I'm not getting out of this. This is, this is the end of the world. But Jesus says to him, today, today, buddy, you're, you're going to be with me. Today, mark it down. It is fact. You're going to be with me in heaven. He gives the guy what? Hope. Hope. All right, now listen to me. 
I'm, I'm 47. I'm going to be 48 here soon. And when I was younger, I was a lot more idealistic. Even when I entered into ministry 20 years ago, I was a lot more idealistic. I thought there were going to be victories and, and, and this and that and saved marriages and, and people coming to know Jesus and people finding healing in their life. And, and, and I'm 47 years old now. I've been in ministry 20 years. And I'm going to be honest with you. There are no promises for anything in this life. Oh, that's pretty gloomy, George. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because that's life. And if we're going to be real people, we need to not live in la-la land. Okay? We need to understand that life is going to be tough. Life is hard. And that's what it is. But in the midst of the hardness of our life, I have hope. I have hope. Not for now. Do you understand me? Not for now. But with him later. This is what he's given this guy. He didn't say to this guy, hey, just wait, just take take it easy. It'll be okay. I'll get you off of this. No, no, he didn't say that to the guy. You're going to die with me. But later on today, we're going to be in paradise. He's given a guy hope for beyond this world. See, this is what we need to understand. Sometimes we get so, like, everything's supposed to be perfect. Everything's supposed to be wonderful. There is nothing wonderful here, folks. We live in the world that sin dominates. But Jesus gives us hope beyond this place. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? I'd like to say, as I look back on 47 years of my life, that everything turned out rosy and hunky-dory. It doesn't. You know that. But what keeps you going on? It's got to be hope in Jesus. It's got to be hope in something more beyond the pain of this world. And that's what he's given to this guy on the cross. That's what he's given to each of us here. You you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what he's given us. Our hope is in Jesus. Okay? Our hope is in Jesus. That's what comes out. That's the grace that's being extended. Folks, that's what we don't deserve. That's what we don't deserve. There's a hope beyond here. Why do you think it says in Revelation, in eternity, in eternity, in chapter 21, when it talks about eternity, it says that he'll wipe away every tear. Because when we go to be there, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more hardship, no more heartache. You won't even remember what happened. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we, we, I mean, you and I, we live with the pain and the memories of, of seasons because we remember when seasons, they bring us reminders of what happened during those seasons and the painful circumstances. It'll all be gone. He gives us hope. Hope. 
Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.